Blog Talk Radio. All the spot analysis. Am I crazy? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. Are we on a podcast? Yeah. I think I'm going to come get some. If you want some, if you want some. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Gotta get it. Oh. My Appreciate favorite, it. though. Am I? You're my favorite. Oh, well, thank you yeah. so much. I, I think not. You put me on the e-meter and ask me a question, and the needle would float. Another thing. Come get some extra time. It's part two of Tony Ortega as I continue this. Uh, celebration of a year of podcasting. Uh, some people notably admitted yesterday I didn't get to say because I have a lot on my mind, but like uh, Brandy and Princess Morgan over on Twitter were really supportive in the beginning. Of course, Cam Ferrari, one of my first most supported uh, Twitter friends, talented artist. You got to check her out. I said all this at the end of yesterday's show, but I forgot to unmute my mic. So there's this really long, awkward silence before the ending credits, uh, the whole uh, intro thing on the outro. Um, Wow, so much going on the last 72 hours to a week. It's It's been crazy. Um, a lot of social media uh, going on that, I, uh, that I'm trying to sort through in my own head a little bit here. Uh, the more public I get, the more vocal I get, the more I see crap uh, thrown at me, and I understand that's going to be part of the package, and, and I knew what I was getting into. Um but something that's been thrown around a lot recently in some of my social media circles, because I'm very vocal. I'm not one of those private, uh, one of those private radio guys that goes onto the podcast and never talks to anyone. Maybe occasionally answers your tweet. Uh, I'm very involved, and when that happens, I get involved in things where I find my name is part of something that I'm not necessarily participating in. Um, one such thing would be a term that's been floating around of cut a hoe. Now, um, against my better judgment, I've been told by people I respect, a lot of people suggest it. You don't just address it. Just don't even even acknowledge it. Uh, but I have to. I'm going to go ahead right now. Let's Before we get started here, i got Phil Jones doing his billboard dedication in L.A. tomorrow a little bit, and then part two of Tony Ortega. But first, let's address the hoe in the room. See, uh, first, before we address the term cut a hoe, we first must look at the hoe itself. Are we talking about a strong, sturdy hoe that's reliable? Are we talking about one of those dirty old hoes you can find really cheap on any street corner? Because those dirty old hoes you can find on any street corner that are really cheap, you know, you really wouldn't even notice if you cut them, right? I mean, you got to think, the old, sturdy, thick wood handle on those classic old, dirty hoes, you couldn't even tell on that wood grain that they have cuts on them. And you could probably – I would assume you can cut them all you want, and, and you wouldn't even notice. I mean they still do the job. But hey, gardening's not my forte. That's just my opinion. Uh, so that's how I feel about that whole thing, and that's how serious I take that interaction. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, I on this show, I in my life, and I in my social media personalities have never once advocated or been okay with the suggestion of violence or inciting of anger and hate. Um, I think to take things that people say 
twist them around and throw them back at you to make it wrong or bad is inciting hatred and violence. And it's, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle that needs to stop. Uh, but to suggest that I'm okay with that or, as someone has said, ambivalent, quote-unquote, uh, you obviously don't know anything about what I've been doing the last few months, and I recommend listening and doing a little binge listening to come get some uh, self-promotion, but true. In the meantime, uh, there is more I want to say about this whole thing. It's in the description. I was going to address the whole idea of the anti-Scientology cult, which was kind of a phrase I think coined by Marty Rathbun that uh, can be a little frustrating, but I do want to address that. Um, and also, when I talk about people who supported me and people that I want to thank as part of this podcast, I want to thank the people who supported me in this effort to speak out and allow people to speak out and have a voice about the things that are wrong with Scientology. I've said many times, again, this speaks to that whole idea of where I'm coming from is I've never been an anti-Scientologist. I'm anti-Scientology because what it does to Scientologists, what it does to ex-Scientologists, to Scientologists' family members in disconnection, it's um, it's it's a lot of a lot of badness. And that word insidious that uh, Bert Leahy puts out there is very true and very real, and uh, and, and bears uh, minding. Uh, so. Thank you to all the people who you know I associate with on social media who have supported the show and continue to and continue to take the brunt almost sometimes on my behalf, which I feel terrible for. But you guys are there for me, and I will continue to be there for you. Um, I won't condone it if you say things threatening to people and all that. And I think sometimes if you feel like someone is uh, mentally unstable, which happens, there's going to be levels of PTSD. There's going to be people who are a little eccentric that, that may not be uh, on the wrong side or just um, are having some problems. If you really believe that, by the way, I've been accused of this. I've never called anybody mentally disabled, but I, I get word back that I'm, I'm saying that about people, but um, I suggest that someone might be troubled, which I think if you're associating with Scientology and influenced strongly by Scientology, you are troubled. If you need help and you're not getting the help you need, you are troubled. Uh, so let's, let's put everything in perspective. Uh, things get twisted. We know it's going to happen. Most people who know me uh, from the last few months, who know me from interactions personally, uh, you, you know. I, I don't need to explain this any farther, and I, and I won't. Uh, but I'll address the anti-Scientology cult thing at the end of the show because in my 10 questions with Tony, I mentioned something similar or related and it kind of confused Tony, and I want to clarify that at the end, uh, what I meant by it. And it'll, it'll just actually, in and of itself, will explain what I mean by that. So without further ado, um, I got in touch uh, with Phil Jones to talk about tomorrow's dedication. If you're in the L.A. area, uh, a couple blocks from the Big Blue building, uh, the Call Me Sign dedication is going to happen with Phil Jones and his family and, the, and all the people who support him. Uh, here it is. All right, um, if you've been following the story of Scientology at all, you should know a little bit about this guy. If you don't even know his name, you know what he's been doing because you've seen the pictures everywhere on Twitter and social media, or you've seen the billboards in your town. Um, this is the guy that's putting up the call me signs on the billboards, Phil Jones. How you doing, Phil? I'm doing real good, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem. I want to make sure we promote this because I know that uh, as of this errand on Friday, 
the 17th on Friday, the uh, Saturday the 18th, they'll be doing an event where the new Call Me sign is being put up. Um, right at 10, 10.30 a.m., uh, just across the street from the billboard, at, which is at 4301 Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. Uh, it, it won't be a big event, I don't think. I mean, although I said that last time we did one in L.A. and there was press from all over that showed up, but um, this is our third billboard, so um, we'll see. I mean, I, there have been a number of people that say they're coming out to it, so hopefully we'll get at least a, a good little crowd and uh, we'll do a little dedication to the billboard and, and uh, hopefully get the word out there a little bit. Well, what happens at these dedications? Is there like a speech? Is there some conversation? People just meet each other? Um, well, usually I'll say a few words, nothing long. I'm not really a long-winded type uh, individual anyway, so I'll just say a few words. Um, there's a list of some of the people who, you know, have been disconnected from their families for quite some time, and I might read a little bit off that list. There, there's a list out there of about 350 um, people that have family disconnections going on. There, there, I'm sure there's thousands of them out there, but the list of 350, I've got a list of maybe a dozen that I'll read from just to let people know how long these families have been broken up by Scientology. Now, on this billboard, it's, it's a collage of faces of, I'm guessing, all the people who've disconnected, all the people's family well, members. Yeah, it's a, and it is a representation for all the thousands of families that have been broken up by Scientology. Originally, when we were doing the billboard, my wife and I, it was for our kids. We had, you know, some pictures of our kids. We were going to do a... We had no other way of getting a hold of them. We tried for some years phoning, going down there... You know, if we went down to their building, security would say, you're not welcome here. They wouldn't allow any message through, whether it was written, phone, or anything. Um, so we decided to do a billboard, and we originally were going to do it for our two kids who are both in the C organization. Uh, one of them works for the uh, author services, which is their L. Ron Hubbard fiction books. The other, our son, works for Celebrity Center in Los Angeles. And they've both been in the Sea Org for about 20 years or more now. So, But we haven't seen them for at least, uh, well, our son for about three years and our daughter longer than that. Um, so anyway, we were putting up the billboard, and we we didn't have enough ourselves to pay for it, so we set up a GoFundMe account. <clears throat> and then we started to get all these messages from people along with donations about how their family was broken up by Scientology and, um, you know, hadn't seen my son in 23 years. A, a 10-year-old girl sent $5 because she lost her sister to Scientology. Mm. I mean, the stories were just so sad that we, we decided to change it up and make it for all the families who have lost, uh, you know, friends, relatives to Scientology disconnection. That that right there, which you pointed out, that example is one of those things that drives me crazy about this connection. Is uh, I have Aaron uh, Levin, uh, Aaron Smith Levin coming on next week, yeah. and we talk about his yeah. daughters and how they you know had that relationship with their grandparents, and that these children that have absolutely nothing to do with anything are being punished uh, because of this kind of thing is is ridiculous. Um, so, uh, so these faces. Did you have to get permission to put these faces on there from family members? No, or? We, no. What we did is we had them blurred, so they're not recognizable. Okay. Um, you know, originally they were clear, but we kind of went back and forth with the graphic artist, um, and 
until we had something that, you know, didn't show up. Because otherwise we'd have to get permission from each and every person that was on that uh, billboard. And, you know, so we just blurred the faces so that it wasn't recognizable. And it was for the message anyway. It was just the, the message being, to my loved one in Scientology, call me. And really that's the gist of the message, just to try to reconnect families. Yeah, it's a direct way. I mean, because you know, you know, you can't get messages to to a lot of them, and uh, right. they can't miss that billboard. Uh, and and this one is closer to any of the buildings. Like we had one originally uh, in Echo Park, and uh, it got a lot of views from people, but not so many from Scientologists, I suppose. But and then the one in Clearwater was a little ways away from the buildings, as close as we could get it. But this one. You can actually see their media productions building from uh, the billboard, and it's only a couple of blocks from their big blue complex uh, in Los Angeles. And right up the street is where they do what they call body riding, where they go out and grab people to bring them into their, their churches to see if they can recruit them. Um, so they're in a panic on this. I mean, they've had... They've been calling all our relatives, and I mean, they were going so far as to call my sister's ex-husband in Canada, who I haven't talked to in probably 25 years, to have him call me up to see if he could, uh, you know, find out, you know, what's going on, see if we can shut it down. They called my wife's twin brother's ex-wife, and I mean, they're just, they've even tried to get a hold of our granddaughter. Um, which is really going across the line. I mean, they cross lines all the time, but that one for us right. is terrible. I mean, they've called so many people just trying to get us shut down and to discredit us, and um, they're they're on a campaign right now against us to see if they can stop this the billboard. But um, you know, they're in a panic because it's so close to their quarter, their headquarters. And what is it that they're telling these family members? What are they expecting them to come back to you with to prevent you from putting well, up these billboards? Well, they're actually trying to dig up any dirt on us. I mean, they asked uh, they asked one of our family members, you know, what crimes has Phil committed? You know, it's like uh, <laughs> just like that. They're just like that. They're they have no idea how out just how in there's in such a bubble. Uh, that they don't have any idea what it's like on the outside. They they ask these questions because that's according to Hubbard's technology or whatever that that if if somebody's criticizing the church, they must have crimes. So they're trying to see if we have any uh, anything in our background that they can kind of either blackmail us for or use as leverage or whatever. But uh, I mean, I last year I went and had a background check for a job and. The one thing that came up was from, I think, 15, 20 years ago where I had a taillight out on my car and got a ticket for that. And So if they're looking for something, <laughs> I'm the last guy to walk into a bank or something and rob it. Or, you know, I'm just not the criminal type. Right. It's not gonna, they're not going to find much. <laughs> no, no. That's good. That's good. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting that they do that. And that they um, basically they're convincing these people, right? Uh, these children, these family members. And it's not always children; it's other family members. They convince them that there is something wrong with you, and that's why you're right. rejecting the church. Exactly. They can never look at themselves to see if there's something wrong with what they are doing. It's always the other person who's criticizing, and and if they are criticizing, they they obviously have hidden crimes that they need to uncover, and they won't stop. They'll just keep on going. But also when they ask those questions of relatives and friends, 
it's partly to discredit too. You know, they go, you know, so I guess they think that well, if they're asking those questions, what are his crimes? That maybe that person will start to think, oh, he must have crimes or something like that. So it's a, it's partly a, an effort to discredit us with friends and relatives, but it doesn't work. Yeah, I'm finding it to be very layered. Uh, even uh, I'll tell you what, they're attacking. Um, they're even attacking social media, just people in general, like not not. Yeah just individuals they're attacking just anyone who speaks out and i'm right. think i'm wondering how far until they realize they can't fair game everybody <laughs> they can't they can't they can't get everybody uh, yeah well they uh they don't actually fair game everybody i mean they try to but they're they just don't have the manpower to no way. everybody that's speaking out nowadays i i know that there are people who've spoken out who have not been fair gamed or have anybody come after them depends on how how much they get into the spotlight and, right. um, and how close they come, you know. Well, I think there's a difference, too. I think there's levels. Like, when I say, when I say people that support my show and myself have been fair gamed, it's more just petty, petty social media right. agitation, you know. And it's, yeah. it's not it's not the same level as, say, a Paulette Cooper or a Navy Scobie would get or maybe yourself even have been, you know, fair gamed. Uh Oh yeah, we've been we've been followed by private investigators and um, you know and proved proved to be private investigators. Um, so you know they've they've come and they have one of their top attorneys write us a cease and desist letter once. Uh, uh, nothing came of it. I mean, they threatened legal action if we didn't stop doing what we're doing and stuff. But uh, um, you know, right now our view is we're fighting for our kids. We love our kids. And there's nothing they can do that's going to compare to that. You know, our, our, you know, anything that we feel that that is putting us in any kind of danger with the church, it just doesn't matter to us because you know our kids are that important to us. Yeah, that's that's commendable. I mean, uh, the uh, the time you spent away from your kids has there been any opportunity any at all to sneak in a word or get any kind of communication with them well um not really um we had two phone calls or about well some time ago i mean um originally we had a phone call from our son when we had the uh lapd kind of going we went we were kind of desperate this is uh about a year ago, maybe a little more, we had the LAPD. We asked them to do a welfare check on our son because he does have a physical problem. And I know in Scientology they don't uh, believe in medical care. Mm. So, you know, we were getting kind of worried. So anyway, we had them go in. and um, It was a bit of a, a thing because, the, first of all, they wouldn't let even let the police see him. And then they, and then they finally said, well, he's not on the property, so they... Uh, gave them an address, and they went to the address, and the church had given the police a, a false address. So they got police got mad. They tracked him down. They got a hold of him, but they but he had some handlers, some Scientology uh, uh, security handlers with him. So when he the police gave him a phone, and said, "Here's call your dad." And when he called, it was just not a pretty call. Um, mm. He you know. So and then we did have a call from our daughter when we were going to set up the Clearwater billboard. We were on our way to Florida, and she called, and and it was, it was a call that was forced. You know, Scientology forced her to make this call and give us 
an ultimatum, said, look, if you want a relationship with your kids, then you have to stop criticizing Scientology. You have to stop the billboard from going up and back out of doing the TV show that we were doing. And I said, I'll do all three of those three, those things. I will do every one of those right now if you do one thing for me, and that is shut down disconnection for all the thousands of families that have been separated by Scientology. And she couldn't do it. I mean, you know, I could just hear in the background. They were, and then it, it sort of, she kind of got sort of a little bit hotter about it. I guess as she was being pushed to say, no, this is just about us and whatnot. But, and then halfway through a sentence of hers, the phone cut out. So I'm sure that that the Scientologists that were handling her there, they just realized it wasn't going anywhere and hung up. But so neither of the calls were anywhere we could get anything in. But, um, I, you know, at this point, as much as we love our kids, it, 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 it's not about us anymore. Uh, you know, if, I, I couldn't, like when I had that phone call with her, I couldn't just say yes to seeing the kids and then leave out all these other people. Um, you know, we've met many of these families that have been forced to disconnect by Scientology. And there's the nicest people you ever want to meet. And, yep. you know, I would never be able to face them again if I, if I just dropped this thing and just said, okay, well, we got our kids back, you know, tough on you kind of thing. It's interesting because I said that before. Um, my first ex-Scientologist I ever had in the show is Kathy Shankelberg. And, um, you know, she didn't have quite the the experience a lot of you guys had. She got out with her family intact and and, and took minimum abuse, I think, uh, in comparison. But she, um, you know, she did her part, and we had a great conversation at the end. In my little, you know, wrap-up of the show, I was, and, and this is like, you know, I, I, at this point, I don't know a whole lot about the inner workings of Scientology. I didn't know what Kathy's told me and what's in Going Clear. And I made a statement, you know, like, shame on our government officials, you know, that allowed this to happen. Because I feel like you guys have been kind of deserted by by law enforcement and lawmakers in this respect. Right. And uh, shame on them because they, they do that. It's kind of a selfish thing that it's too much trouble, too much red tape. You, you guys know what you meant to say. Well, it's a good point you make because if you look at it, the... the that Scientology hides behind their, you know, religious status, their First Amendment, and they're always being protected. In the courts, it seems they tend to win a lot, but the victims of their abuse don't get the same protection. Um, mm -hmm. So it is unbalanced. It's definitely unbalanced. They, they're, they always hide behind their, they're, they're the victim of, you know, of, you know, apparent bigots, but, you know, um, but the victims of their abuse and their and the abuse that they commit is just legion. I mean, there's just so many stories of abuse. And whenever you hear anybody who who gets out of the C organization, the Scientology C organization, you never hear them say I left. They always say I escaped. So you know, it's it's a terrible uh, situation to have in this country. Well, you know, we talk about you said that um, you you, you kind of said it there was. Uh, you know, you guys couldn't turn your back on everybody else that's been through it. And, you know, um, our, our government officials and police again are, you know, I don't want to, I'm not saying go out and, and, and take action against police and government officials or anything. I'm just saying, you know, they, they, they turn a blind eye the way that 
uh, John Travolta would if you say, what do you think of all these abuses right. they talk about? Oh, i never seen it, never heard of it, I don't want to hear it. You know, it's, right. it's, it's, it's a blind eye. But what I will say is, uh, it's, I can't believe what you're doing, it's amazing. You've been doing the GoFundMes for this, and I see that um, you, have, you have a billboard in Clearwater right now currently up. No, there was a clear. We did have the billboard in in Clearwater for a short time. They're they're fairly expensive, so we can't keep them up for too long. Um, and you know, you can only ask people for money for you know so much. You can't. You don't want to sort of drain people. But it gets the statement out there, and then every once in a while we'll put a new billboard up. Um, like I said, this is our third one. It's always the same message. We always have the same billboard. Uh, you know, to my loved one in Scientology, call me. Um, and we have a link to our website on there, which is stopscientologydisconnection.com. So, um, so let me ask you this. Uh, has anyone ever responded to that? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact. I can't tell the names because they wanted to sort of stay yeah. quiet, but there were two. One specifically that said it was because of the billboard that they were able to get their, nice. their family member out. I mean, it's not a lot in the scheme of things, but... Um, but the other thing is that we also have, um, you know, different posters and, and we have magnetic signs for the car and we've driven around their buildings with the signs. And every time we do that, because the website address is on there, we notice that the, the traffic on the website goes up. So the public and the staff probably not the staff so much because they don't have access to the internet, but definitely a lot of the public uh, are have been looking. And now they're they're trained to not look. There was a one of our friends who was down there protesting once. There was a group of maybe a dozen uh, Scientologists down around the big blue building in Los Angeles, and he came up with a sign. And in unison, they all turned around. It's like it was like a military exercise. They all turned their backs so they couldn't look. And then we were down there a few weeks ago and driving around the building with one of the magnetic signs on our car, and there was a, one of the Sea Org girls there, puts her hand up to block her eyes so she wouldn't be able to see the sign. And all the signs said the same thing to my loved one, the Scientology called me. I got that on video, and I actually had Tony Ortega. Uh, actually, I think it was on Tony. We put it on Tony Ortega. Oh, my God. That uh, she actually wouldn't look at the sign. I mean, it was just uh, <laughs> uh, bizarre. It, that is the most Because you know what? They had to show them the sign to say, if you see this, <laughs> look at what I know. It's just crazy. It's like, what, what's going to happen? You know? so, oh. um, yeah, are their beliefs so fragile that they can't even look at a sign like that? It's like opening up the ark. It's like, don't look. <laughs> yeah. Close your eyes. Yeah, it's just, it's just bizarre. It is. It's like you know, their beliefs are well, and and they are beliefs. I mean, really, they they a lot of in Scientology they say it's scientific, you know, this and that, but it's not. I mean, it's it's really a set of beliefs. So you because you have to believe that eventually you're going to achieve the you know the clear OT. But we were in for forty years, my wife and I, and we never saw it or an OT, and that's really kind of to a large degree what got us out, is that we finally woke up and said, you know what? We've been fighting for 40 years for this clear and OT thing, and in all that time, we've never seen one clear or OT. And, uh, you know, they say that there's clears, but per the definition, 
in the book and, and whatnot, the, um, and the definition of an OT, um, never seen one. That actually, that amuses me to a, to a degree, and I, I try not to laugh too much at it because that's not a good way to approach it, but it, it, there's some amusement to it, to the effect that uh, in Tony Ortega's book, uh, the Unbreakable Miss Lovely. If yep. you remember, one of the first things uh, Paulette Cooper did to experience Scientology was a friend that said he believed he was the second coming of Jesus Christ, which isn't right. even, that's not even a Scientology thing. <laughs> he just, yeah. he just was just that you touched know, by it. It is, a, there, you know, if you start to really look at it, and when you're in it, you don't. You, you, you kind of do these little mental things where you, you won't look at negative things. I mean, it, the training is unbelievable, the mental conditioning in Scientology, too. And that's partly what keeps you in. It's not that it's not always there, they're saying not to look, they're saying they train you to not look, to not think, to not question. Um, but when you start to look at it, once you get out, it, it is crazy. I mean, if you look at what their OT levels are about, where they they have like these body thetans attached to the body. I don't know if you know the soul story of Zenu and oh yeah, but, oh yeah. So in in the auditing, you're you're dealing with these. You you have to communicate to these beings in order to get them to leave your body. And and I I, I say to people, I say, well, if you see a guy walking down the street talking to somebody who's not there, you think he's a crazy person. But Scientology, that for year after year after year, they have people sitting in a chair holding on to cans on a meter talking to somebody who isn't there. And, you know, they can make people crazy by that. And I've seen uh, people who have gone through years and years of auditing, and it does make many of them crazy uh, to a degree. So, um, uh, you know, it's it, I, I've seen Scientology not only not help, but I've seen it make people worse uh, by doing it. Yeah, there, there, we're going to talk more about that probably when I have you back. Cause I, we talked about this. I want to have you back on to be more detailed about it. Uh, you know, we're doing a brief thing sure. here to to promote the signs, and we've talked we talked a good amount already about some stuff, which I really appreciate. Phil, you you, you brought a lot to the to the table here. Um, but do you think there's somebody waiting uh, by the phone, just waiting for the last day of your lease on that sign to call and and get that changed? Oh, well, that happened in Clearwater. When our, the day our uh, contract was up, Scientology put up their own billboard right on that spot. Yeah, I was, I was reading that article. That's why I asked you. I was like, they had to have been just been waiting. It's so funny because oh, yeah. I'll tell you, when Chris Shelton, when Chris Shelton was on Scientology The Aftermath with Lair Remedy and Mike Rinder, the first thing I did as soon as I saw his face, I went to GoDaddy. And I looked up the uh, the domain of who is Chris Shelton because I wanted to buy it yeah. and block it, and um, it was already gone. Yeah, well, Scientology owns uh, for us who is Phil Jones, who is Willie Jones. Uh, yeah, they they own a, a bunch of domains that in our name. But yeah, I don't care. They're going to put up a hate site on us at some point, I'm sure. But the thing is, what I did <clears throat> when I saw that they had bought those domains. They've also bought every single domain you could think of, thousands of domains with David Miscavige's name in it. So you can't, you, it's almost impossible to find something under David Miscavige's name that's not available. But I got lucky and I found the best domain <laughs> when I registered it. And I said, look, if they put up a hate site on us, I'm going to put a satire site up on David Miscavige. And the website I got was davidmiscaviggehates.us, hates us. 
David Miscavige hates us. I like that. And 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 I'm just gonna. You know, I've got a bunch of people ready to go for. Uh, you know, do a a big satire site on uh, David Miscavige. If they put something up on us, we'll just put something up on him. I, but you know, even then, what are they going to put up? They have to make stuff up on on us. I, I don't know what they would put up. My wife and I are like senior citizens that are like. We're not outgoing at all. I mean, the fact that we've done the bill for us and that, this is such a step out for us to do this kind of thing because we're just not outgoing kind of people to do that kind of thing. And uh, So, um, <laughs> you know, they, they'll, but they, they make stuff up. If they can't find anything, they make it up. So They do. I don't know if you know this, but I'm hateful and I incite violence. Oh man, oh man! You know, just talking to you, I just feel like smacking my fist on the table. <laughs> I'm so frustrating. I know. Oh, man. oh. well, I know. They just—they it's amazing what they can. Yeah, it's it just yeah. They, they get sort of and they really scrape it to to try to make up stuff on people. With, you know, it, yeah. it's just getting old. The stuff they say—it's always the same crap. Oh, he's in it for the money. Oh, he's in it for the. You know, this or the for that, but uh, you know, it's all just lie. Oh man, I'm definitely. <laughs> Scientology. You can't believe anything Scientology says. Anyway, they have a a drill, a training routine called TRL, training routine lie, where they actually have people where they'll sit you down, you sit down with another person, and you practice lying until you can lie comfortably, easily, and believably. And that's that's a, a training routine in Scientology that they. They train their their public relations people on. So anything that Scientology says, pretty much. I mean, lying is part of the culture. Well, well, you can line up uh, you can line up a half a dozen um, people's disconnected children videos against them, and they basically sound the same. So you know, it's a it's a loose script, and it's it's there. And yeah, yeah. uh, Well. I, I hope people come out to this dedication because you're flying out to it. You're you're based out of somewhere other than California. Well, we're in Las Vegas. We'll be driving out. Um, you know, we go back and forth. Oh, okay. For a bit. Um, so we'll be heading out there um, shortly, and um, um, you know, they may be there. They probably Scientology probably had when we were at the one in in Clearwater. They had they had people planted there was a guy sitting on the bus station the bus stop across the street all day long i mean just sitting there with the camera pointed at us there was a guy across the street further down sitting on top of a trailer with a camera with a lens that had to have been two feet long and then they had little hidden cameras like all around just like right close down to where the billboard was pointing at us we found all the cameras and just turn them away and and then we had one of our guys put a camera on them to on well just to see when they came to pick up their cameras and so we got that on film which was kind of cool they don't even try to hide it uh, dude, what is that because uh, oh, they know they no that's true they weren't hiding that well they were i mean they were trying to hide somewhat like the guy on the top of the trailer was sort of kind of behind bushes and the guy in the bus station or the bus stop was sort of like just Look, trying to look like he was just reading a newspaper sitting there, but you know, then his hand down further had a little camera pointed out. I mean, and and these little cameras they had hidden were only about two inches long, little little black, uh, little rectangular camera things. You wouldn't you unless you knew what to look for, you wouldn't 
have seen them. They were they were hidden all around the place. Uh, well, I mean more. I mean more like the detectives, because like you saw the guy on the bench holding the phone up, looking at you with it. Um, I've seen that on the on Lair Remedy show too, with the two guys in the hotel. Yeah. They're they're just just yeah. pointing it right at you. There's no hiding it. Are they not worried? They just don't care if you see them. Uh, part of it is an intimidation thing. I mean, they they do it to to go. Hey, we're we're watching. Well, they you want know. you to see it. In some cases, yeah, they do. So they they do. There's two different types. They'll do sort of hidden. Uh, investigations, and they do what they call loud investigations, where they just want to intimidate you. It's it's amazing that this can exist. We we touched on it earlier, and uh, I, I tweeted about it yesterday uh, when Tony Ortega put out about the about that that um that judgment yesterday uh, in favor of Scientology, and it's just so frustrating because I feel like, and I say this a lot, and, and really it just falls on deaf ears because they're always point to the Constitution. The um, the freedom of religion is, it shouldn't be a golden ticket. None of our freedoms should be a golden ticket to be criminals. Right, right. because the, the victims of their abuses don't have the same freedoms. Yeah, I mean, well, that's just you know? it, though. We don't have laws so they can be abused. We have laws so they can be enforced. Right. And right. there should be a difference there uh, as far as law enforcement is yeah. concerned in government. Yeah. All right. Well, well, eventually, eventually, I think all this stuff will catch up to Scientology. They have enough crimes and abuses, and you know, breaking up so many families, it it will catch up to them. Well, well, I hope you have a good turnout there. I hope you guys have a great time. I wish I could go, but it's on the other side of the country uh, for me. How <laughs> close to the Clearwater? Yeah. But um, I really wish you the best with this, and I definitely uh, I'm going to have you back on in a few weeks. Here, we're going to go ahead and. Uh, We'll finish this discussion and have a little bit more detailed talk about your experiences. Sounds great. Thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate you having me on. No problem, Phil. You take care. We'll be in touch. All right. Thanks. No problem. All right. So that was Phil Jones. Uh, that billboard dedication is at 4301 Sunset Boulevard, Los Angeles again. It'll be at 1030 a.m. tomorrow. Turn up if you can. Uh, and I think I know some people trained in that TRL. Um, let's see here. Now it's time for part two of Tony Ortega. I think you enjoy it. Stay on the line for a preview of next week's podcast and uh, next week's podcast, I think I meant to say, and uh, and would also be covered uh, as far as the anti-Scientology cult. Uh, here it is. Uh, you hadn't at this point even met Paulette Cooper yet. Is that right? I, I hadn't met her, but I had uh, – one of the things that was interesting to me was that when I first started writing about Scientology uh, in Phoenix and then Los Angeles in the 90s, uh, somewhere along there, I would get emails from people encouraging me, saying, I'm glad you're looking into this. I used to get emails from, from Ida Camburn, sweet lady in uh, Inland Empire. I really loved her. And she would always send me these emails about, you did a great job, keep it up. And then I got a couple emails like that basically just encouraging me and, and saying she liked my stories by somebody who called herself Paulette. And I thought, no, this can't, this can't be the Paulette. But it turned out it was. And Paulette Cooper was reaching out across the country to send me an email to say, attaboy, basically. And I thought that was really great. And I, you know, we, we traded a few emails. Uh, and then nothing, nothing came from that. I, I didn't see how I could write a story about her at that point. But then in New York, uh, the, uh, in fact, it was right around the time the squirrel busters were happening. 
I heard from some people that had been sort of talking to Paulette about uh, some things, and they were up. She was upset that Tom Cruise was about to get a uh, Humanitarian of the Year award right. at the Simon Wiesenthal Center. And these uh, people that knew her approached me and said, "Would you be interested in a statement from Paulette Cooper about that?" I said, "Of course." And so that's how we kind of reconnected. I I got I printed her statement, which was you know probably the most read thing I'd ever put up uh, on, about Scientology up to that point. And uh, and then I reached out to her and said, I don't know if you remember me. And she said, sure. And so we started talking. And then by a year later, uh, I had done a few stories about what she had been through, about uh, how she survived the Holocaust. And I realized the more I dug into her story, the more there was there. And that that's when you know, you're really happy as a writer when you realize that it was it was great because it was a situation where Everybody thought they knew her story, that here was this woman, Paulette Cooper, that had written one of the first books about Scientology, and then they'd harassed her like nobody else. She was like the best example of fair game, and they'd gotten her indicted and all this stuff for a crime she didn't commit. Everybody thought they knew that story, but the more I dug into it, the more I realized it was a mess online. And there was just so much more than people realized. And that's when I I pitched to her the idea. I said, look, I'd really like to do something larger here as a project. And uh, and so we decided that uh, we'd do that book. And so, uh, you know, I spent the next couple of years interviewing her and other people that knew her that went through the whole thing. Uh, and that's how my book came about. Well, the great and the thing. First time, go ahead, I'm sorry. The first time we actually met them, the first time we actually met them was uh, uh, December 2011. She came up to New York to visit her sister, and we had breakfast. And that was the first time we met. Uh, the greatest thing about this whole thing is... Um, I don't want to give away the book because it's a, it's a, you know it's a it's a business thing too, <laughs> you know, selling books. But the um, but man, uh, this book. If, I see a lot of people ask you and Mike Rinder and others if they thought that you know under David Miscavige uh-huh. that maybe Scientology is much more ruthless than it would have been if it was still um, L. Ron Hubbard running it. And I think your book they they hadn't read your book yet, and your book really sure. I think definitively answers that. Um, it was just incredible, everything about it. And I'll tell you what, because I, I just finished it myself. The um, the Paulette Cooper story, The Unbreakable Miss Lovely, is, is a book that is so much, much more about, than about fair game. So much more than about Scientology. It's uh, People need to read it. It, it, it. You cover a lot. Well, thanks. Uh, I, I had a, it was, like I said, we really worked hard. I, 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 it's not Paulette's memoir. It's my history um, because I talk to people other than Paulette, you know, and I think that's crucial. I think memoirs often are a little too, you know, uh, one person's point of view, and I don't think they're as useful as, you know, when you dig in and interview people. And, and believe me, some of the people I talk to, like former spies that, that ran these operations against her, they still hate her guts. And that's why it's good to talk to them, because they're going to give you information that she's not going to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I think that, that worked out really well. I talked to a lot of different people, dug up a lot of records, some that I've never seen the light of day before. And then the best piece of advice I got was from my publisher, Humphrey Hunter. Uh, I had started to write some pages. I started sending them to him. He said, stop, stop. you got to start over again. He said, don't, tell, don't write this like it's a newspaper story. You need to write it like it's happening. And that was the best advice I got. I started over again, and he was right. I, you know, the, the one thing I needed to do is I couldn't just do what Janet Reitman and Larry Wright had already done. Right? Janet Reitman 
and Larry Wright both wrote fantastic histories of the Church of Scientology. They're massive. They cover a huge amount of material. They're telling the story of L. Ron Hubbard. They're telling the story of Dianetics. They're telling the story of the celebrities, all in one book. And I knew that, you know, who would want, you know, a book from me doing the same thing? I had to find something different. And I realized that Paulette's story, if I focused on it more as a narrative about what she had been through, what she saw, how she was harassed, you know, they sued her 19 times. They ran multiple operations against her, some of which people have never heard of before. That, and then to tell it as if, you know, it's like a novel and it's unfolding. Uh, that, was a, that was a great decision by my publisher, and I think it added a lot to uh, why people enjoy the book. Oh, absolutely. I will say this. That it seems like she went through alone just against her combined with everybody else since then has been through fair game-wise. Like, they, she, she's... There are, def- there are definitely some other people that have been harassed really badly. I mean, one of them is definitely Mike Rinder. I mean, he's yeah. just a constant source of harassment, you know, target of harassment. Uh, and uh, there have been some others as well, but something about Paulette really enraged Elrod Hubbard, and he wanted her destroyed. And so they kept throwing multiple operations after her. And, 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 you know, anybody else probably would have said, enough, I can't, you know, leave me alone. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But she kept going on TV. She kept talking to other reporters. She kept going on the radio. She just, she really felt that this was something that needed to be exposed, and she never backed down. So, uh, and, then, and then if you meet her today, I mean, she's just such a, a kick in the pants. She's wonderful. She's hilarious. Uh, she, you know, that's, that's part of why I really wanted to do the book is I really admire her. At the same time, if you read my book, you know she made some not-so-great decisions. Right. You know, and I, and I thought it was important that those were in there. You know, this is, you know, because she was struggling at times, and she, she kind of walked into their traps. Yeah. Uh, but she survived it all, and she's really great. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for that for that lady. I really, I, I would like to meet her. But I can tell you, anyone who reads it's going to want to meet her. And um, she is uh, an inspiration, really, for anyone going through anything. Uh, that she could have the backbone she had and stand up to that. Uh, one of the things about that, too, that really sticks with me, if you want to look at it from a philosophical standpoint, kind of, while Scientology is, you know, doing disconnection, Paulette Cooper's story, really, the way you the way you round that book out, and I won't give it all away, but she's kind of got a story of connection, of reconnection, and uh, and I think I think that's a valuable point. That I don't know if you meant it to be that way, but it really kind of it's a narrative in there that can be found. Well, you know, you talk about families getting ripped apart by Scientology. I mean, that's something that. You know, the opposite example is Paulette. I mean, how close she was to her parents. Uh, her dad almost lived to 100. And, you know, in his last few years, uh, they were living, a, you know, basically in buildings next to each other. and They had breakfast every day. Uh, you know, that kind of family connection was super important to her. And she just uh, was really offended that one of the things Scientology does is separate parents from children. So, yeah, she is a counterexample in that way. And, and she's a truth teller. And Scientology is, you know, has a real, real problem with telling the truth. Uh, there's a lot of ways in which she's, you know, about as opposite as you get from Scientology. Now, I'm told uh, at times I have people, I do have people patting me on the back as well, saying, you know, thank you for doing this, and they say, like, you know, you seem very well informed. And the funny thing is, is I'm still learning, you know, because I read these articles here and there over the years, but I haven't really. Study studied it as much as anyone like yourself would have, 
and, and now I'm starting to want to know more, and, and I learn, like I said, I learn every day uh, things, and I'm just more informed than the average person is all it is. Uh, is there stuff that still surprises you? Are you still learning a little bit sometimes, even oh, though I'm you've been covered? I'm absolutely still learning. I'm not. I mean, one of the things that's uh, great about the underground bunker are the the people in the comments. There are people in the comments that know far more about Scientology than I do. <clears throat> I mean, these are people that uh, excuse me. These are people that were in Scientology 30 years. You think I'm going to tell them anything about Scientology they don't know? You know, nope. <laughs> I always keep, I always keep that in mind, right? I'm I'm a reporter covering a moving story. I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert who's just telling people, you know, uh, what I've learned. That's not, that's not me. I, I'm, I'm a reporter. I'm covering a story. Uh, and often when people ask me a question, I give them a link. Here, go read this story. You'll, you know what I'm saying is I'm trying to build up this library of stories, of things that we've covered. But, uh, but no, I'm always learning, and like I said, those those mysteries I'm still trying to solve. I mean, there's still, uh, you know, people talk about, well, nobody knows this, nobody knows that. Well, I want to find out. You know, who do I talk to? Who can I interview? So, for example, I hinted that I've, I've got a story coming down the road about a, a death, and I happened the other day to be reading about a different a different uh, story about it and saw a name, and realized, hey, wait a minute, I know how to get a hold of that person. And so I talked to that person, and, and it was the first time this person's been interviewed about it by any reporter in 40 years. Wow. And all of a sudden, I have this information that nobody's printed. Now, I, don't, I can't release that yet because I'm, I'm, there's a second person I want to talk to who was also there. See, I want to, con- I want to cross-confirm. I want to you know, get everything down, right. and then hopefully, hopefully I can release that pretty soon. But... That's what just keeps me going. Is I've got this, I've got this file of lists of just potential stories of people I haven't interviewed yet, or people I need to interview more. And every day I just look down that list and I say, okay, what can I do today? Who can I call? What document can I read? And it's a great list. I mean, they're they're wonderful stories from the '70s, from the '80s, from the '90s, from just last week. Uh, I just I just feel like this is still such a, a, a fertile field for any investigator. Uh, I, mean, just, I mean, just yesterday, some novelist I'd never heard of wrote a really good story looking at putting, Ron, putting L. Ron Hubbard's fiction in context. And he's not the first person to do that, but he did such a good job of it. I mean, there's so many more things that we could do to understand Hubbard and how he came up with Dianetics and how it, how it grew and how, it, how did it survive the FBI raid of 1977. You know, how did it survive 11, 11 top officials being put in prison? I wonder. You know, just, it's really, it's really fascinating. I do wonder about that. I mean, um, it's, it's so strange to me that this happened in really not too long after the fallout of that. All right, you can have your, you can have your, uh, your tax exemption. That's fine. You know, um, is there a theory, um, part of, I know you guys have a theory of it on the website, um, that when, and I, feel, I think this is pretty well known, when files were stolen from the IRS, do you think there was something in there that the IRS doesn't want people to know, or do you think it was something more that IRS doesn't want it to be a publicly known thing that they were so easily infiltrated? Do you think uh, there was some kind of influence that way in giving them their tax exemption? You know, it's, 
Um, I talk about it some in my book about how uh, you talk about the Snow White program uh, between 1974 and 1977. Scientology had right. these operatives who had either been placed as employees at places like the Justice Department and the IRS, or they just had these spies that were just breaking in and walking out with documents by the yard. And it went on just very, you know, they they had very little trouble doing it. Uh, and then finally in 77, 76, one of them was, uh, two of them were stopped by police and, uh, and the, or, or stopped by a librarian who called the FBI. And, and two FBI agents showed up to talk to these guys. Well, it turns out that of those two FBI agents, one of them was a woman named Christine Hansen, and she was one of the first women FBI agents in history. And I, that intrigued me, and I called her up, and, and, and she, when I was you know, researching the book, and, uh, and once again, I said, so have other reporters asked you about this? And she said, no, nobody's ever called me. Wow. I, I was stunned. This is the woman who helped unravel Snow White. What she did was, uh, so these two guys had been rooting around in a U.S. attorney's office after, after hours, and, and, and they had been caught. And they had kind of some lame excuses, and, and the FBI couldn't arrest them at that point, uh, but they asked them for some ID, ID cards, and it turned out to all be fake. So she went back to the FBI office, and they're, they're, they're talking about it, and they're like, okay, why are these guys... What are they doing? You know, are they stealing something? Who are they? Why would they give fake IDs? And at that point, I think I think it might have easily just been dropped. But she decided she was curious. What are these guys doing? And so she went down to the IRS office, and she was asking somebody, how do you make a fake IRS ID if you had access to their equipment? And so she was learning that. She turned around, and here's one of those two guys walking down the hall. Total accident. Wow. Right? She, she walked up to him and said, you're under arrest. And that's how uh, Gerald Wolfe was arrested in, uh, I believe it was June 1976. Well, that sent Scientology into an uproar because now one of their spies has been arrested, but they don't know if the FBI knows whether they're working for Scientology or not. And they didn't at first. And Mary Sue Hubbard, who was running this whole thing, was like, look, they're not going to figure that out, but we need to, we need to clamp things down. So... Uh, they got the other spy back to California. His name was Michael Meiser. They gave him a different appearance, right? They dyed his hair. They hit him in an apartment, and they tried to figure out, okay, now what are we going to do? As long as they don't know of Scientology, we're cool. Well, what Mary Sue Hubbard didn't realize was Christine Hansen was really smart, and she figured out pretty early on that it was Scientology, and she started researching, well, why would Scientology be breaking into government offices? Ultimately, uh, the science, so that's why science, uh, Michael Meisner ultimately ran away from his captors in Scientology, turned himself over to the FBI in uh, June 77, and three weeks later, on July 8, 1977, the FBI raided the Church of Scientology after he had told them what they were really doing, that they were breaking into all these offices, they were stealing documents, they were trying to foil all of the government actions against Hubbard, basically. And once he had told them where they were stealing these documents from, where they were storing them, that's when the FBI raided. And none of it would have happened if Christine Hansen had not been curious about who are these guys and why would they be giving out fake IDs. So I wanted her to make sure she got credit uh, for that in my book. 
definitely. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's just one of those great parts of Scientology history. That, uh, but they ended up, yeah. Mary Sue Hubbard went to prison, and ten other uh, uh, top officials went to prison over that. Right. Do you, do you think there's something in those documents that caused them not to, the IRS not to give them any more trouble? Or? So, at, so, so at that point, at that point in '77, they did not have tax exempt status. They had lost tax exempt status in '67. Okay. But Hubbard just didn't pay taxes. He didn't care. You know, they they took away tax exempt status in '67, but they just didn't pay. So in '77, uh, they sent all these officials to prison, but they still didn't. You know, they they didn't give them tax exempt status. What happened was, uh, as the years went on, that unpaid tax bill got bigger and bigger and bigger. By the time Hubbard died in '86, it was getting really large. As Mark Marty Rathbun has explained, by the early '90s, it was up to a billion dollars, with a B, uh, that they owed the IRS, and they didn't even have that much money. So, you know, he Marty makes the point that they were facing, you know, ruin if they didn't get tax status, because they're not going to be able to pay that bill. So they had just put the IRS under incredible pressure for years. They, they didn't, you know, they actually put individual IRS employees under harassment. And real petty stuff, too. Like, I, the New York Times has a great story from that era talking about how they made, they made individual IRS agents, made their lives miserable with all these petty little complaints and, and harassment techniques. Until finally, the you know, in, in uh, October '91, David Miscavige and Marty Rathbun just showed up at the IRS office in D.C. and were allowed to see uh, the uh, uh, IRS commissioner at the time, Fred Goldberg, under George Bush the first. And uh, Marty has described this several times. That basically, you know, they told him, "Well, why can't we come to an agreement of some kind?" You know, at that point, they had 2,400 lawsuits going against the IRS, and uh, they told him that all those lawsuits will go away, all the harassment will go away if we could just find some sort of agreement. And Marty said that as they were leaving the room, Goldberg pulled him aside and said, is he telling the truth? Will this all go away? And Marty said, yeah, it will. And he said Goldberg's shoulders visibly, like, relaxed, like, oh, okay, this will all be over. And then right after that is when Fred Goldberg announced that they were doing a study. Uh, Now, I've talked to tax experts tax journalism experts who tell me that once Goldberg made that decision, that study took three more years or two two more years, but once he made that decision, it was a done deal. They were going to get tax status. And uh, they had to turn over a lot of documents and jump through a lot of hoops. But but October 93, they, they gave them basically everything. I mean, they gave them all taxes of status for virtually all their entities. And that billion-dollar tax bill tore it up. They had to pay like nine million, which is a joke, right? Right. Uh, so that's that's how that happened. Was just pure harassment, pure harassment of the IRS day and night. The IRS caved, which is kind of incredible because you know we think of the IRS as being this bully and this real yeah. you know, powerful force, but uh, Scientology brought it to its knees. Wow, I think I did that to my parents when I was six, so I can go out and play. Um, <laughs> that's craziness. Um, are you familiar with the Jeff Warren thing, the polygamist, the uh, the whole breakup of that group? Uh, you know, I, I I lived in Arizona for several years, so I was I was very aware of the the polygamists that live on the border between Utah and Arizona. Uh, but I don't know more about more about it than 
it's typical, you know, people who watch TV and see it. Okay. I don't want to ask you more than what you what you knew about because I know, uh, you know facts are important. I'm just wondering if you uh, just uh, maybe speculatively you could say what you think the difference is. Why why can the polygamous group be broken up and Scientology's protected or or can't be broken up? Well, you know, they have there have historically been problems with uh, uh, raiding a polygamous uh, location. I mean, wasn't there one in Texas where they got <laughs> reports that there were there, no 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 there was a it was a it was a fundamentalist uh, Okay. Uh, Mormon thing, and there was somebody called in an anonymous tips about kids being in danger. So the the authorities raided the you know compound and took all these kids out, and then it turned into a legal nightmare for the government. Uh, I think they're wary of that. Um, it took a lot of time, a lot of reporting about what was going on in uh, the uh, Warren Jeffs uh, group before they finally took action. Why, why does the government go after one group and not another? Well, you know, the, the fundamentalist uh, Mormon polygamists, uh, how big is that group? And, and how, how big of an area do they cover, right? Right. Scientology is also, also not a big group. It's, you know, people, they claim to have millions. They've probably only got 20,000 around the whole world. But they're around the whole world, and they have some famous people, and they have a lot of money they're willing to spend on attorneys. So that makes things a little more difficult for law enforcement. The other big problem for law enforcement is, you know, we hear a story about, you know, children uh, being abused uh, and misused. And, you know, take, for example, Laura DiCrescenzo, who at 12 years old was working 90 hours a week and was punished because she admitted missing her mother. Now, you would think that is so outrageous that let's send the you know, FBI down there tomorrow. The problem is none of us learned about that until uh, uh, Laura was in her mid-30s, so 20 years after the fact. And that's, that's all. usually the problem with Scientology is that uh, by the time we hear about a specific case of abuse, so much time has passed, law enforcement will tell you we can't do anything about it. So it's difficult to get information about what's happening right now. Uh, and there are other, you know, the other problem that, you know, the FBI came very close to raiding the international base at ha- near Hemet uh, in the summer of 2010. They came very, very close. They came so close to raiding the base that, uh, uh, you know, I-, I was talking to, I talked to some of the, the people who were their informants, ex-Scientologists. One of them told me, that the FBI had asked him to ride in the van with them as they went into the base so he could help identify people for them. And he had said yes. He was ready to go. Another informant found that they had recorded the tail numbers on Tom Cruise's airplanes in his Burbank hangar right. in case the scavenge tried to run that way. That's how close they came to raiding the base that summer. And then they changed their mind. The why is very complex. I have a story about that. Right. Yeah, um, I've seen that, yeah. I mean, uh, Lawrence Wright and the Tampa Bay Times guys tend to blame the Hadley's lawsuit, but I think it's more complex than that. But anyway, it's, it's a long story. Well, it is difficult. It appears it's difficult for a one-on-one for a uh, an individual to have something happen like the Hadley's case and the uh, and, and some of the other cases. But if you take them one-on-one, you're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to get tied up in court. You're going to lose or settle out of court, basically, and it feels like these settling out of court type of things 
or what's hurting progress. Like, every time you get close to putting them away, like, we think that might have been something behind the scenes with the Rathbuns. You know, the, uh, you know, that's hurting the, the overall picture because these people, and maybe in some cases, absolutely, they deserve to be able to walk away from it and not be bothered by it anymore, and they just want to, to end it. But it feels like the, the bigger picture should be, I don't know law very well, Tony, but it seems like we should be able to get a bunch of people together who've had past cases or past experiences and show a pattern and possibly go at it from that standpoint. I think there are a number of different things you could do. I mean, when Mike Rinder and I were talking about uh, the possible raid on the base in 2010, he said it was a bad idea. He said, you know, uh, you go in there and, and say to these people in the hole, hey, you can come out now, you're free. And they might say, no, we're not being held. Yeah. That's a nightmare for law enforcement. If he was saying you could, he, he said, you know, Mike Rinder said to me, why don't they build an obstruction of justice case instead? And I think something like that might be more likely where, uh, you know, I know about, I personally know about some, some uh, examples of abuse where it's not just that somebody was held against their will or somebody was, uh, you know, physically abused, but it's that they were then put under so much pressure not to talk about it, not to, you know, and it, it's that cover-up that I think might be something that law enforcement should be able to establish. Uh, so we'll see. They, I think something like that might happen. Uh, what, what do you th- is that what you think is the end game? Do you think that's when it finally ends for Scientology? When when that's the trigger's pulled on that kind of uh, operation? Well, I think there's a number of different things that could happen. I don't, you know, uh, Scientology was forcing young women to have abortions for decades, but once that came out, uh, they stopped doing that. You know, they were sensitive to the fact that the press was starting to talk about that in 2010. And so now if a young woman is a CEO or gets pregnant, they just get kicked out. Uh, <laughs> when the whole, in a hole was this, I mean, they always have had this prison program for Sea Org members called the RPF, the Rehabilitation Project Force. But uh, then Miscavige established this prison just for his executives in, at the uh, base near Hemet called the Hole. And that started in January 2004. But by 2009, when the Tampa Bay Times really revealed what was going on there, Again, that press pressure convinced Miscavige to uh, change that. And so I think there are still a segregated population of people at its base that are referred to as the whole, but they're not kept in that prison-like environment anymore. In fact, even tore down that building. Interesting. Uh, So, you know, Miscavige has ameliorated some of these things when press exposure, you know, brought it to the public's attention. But I'm still convinced that young people are working insane hours for no pay, that families are being ripped apart, that physical conditions for some of these people who are probably being forced to clean the engine rooms of the free wind, all of that's still going on. And there are any number of ways that law enforcement can get interested in that, or the IRS can get interested in, in, in reexamining the tax exempt status. I think you have... From what I can tell, I think there are law enforcement agencies that are interested in looking at these things and possibly taking action. I think the IRS is interested. Uh, it, it really comes down to how much pressure there is and how much people really want this to happen. Uh, and then, but I, at the same time, the person doing the most damage to the Church of Scientology is David Miscavige. 
I mean, this thing is shrinking. People are being driven away by his mania for fundraising. Uh, and I think, you know, if you're – Mike Rinder once said that, listen, if you're, an, if you're an official at the IRS or FBI or anywhere and you're thinking about taking on the Church of Scientology, you basically have to decide if that's worth spending the rest of your career on because you will, right? I mean, it's just yeah. – you'll be fighting their attorneys for years and years and years. And so let's say you're an upper-level guy at the IRS and you're watching this and you're thinking, okay, we could spend the next four or five years trying to take their tax status. But if you look at what Miscavige is doing to Scientology, it, it may not even exist in four or five years. I mean, who knows? I mean, they're driving so many people away now. Uh, so I think it's, it, everyone's kind of waiting to see who's going to make the first step. And uh, I, I don't, you know, David Miscavige is the Church of Scientology at this point. He owns the copyrights and the trademarks and the bank accounts. He really doesn't have to have members of the Church of Scientology. Uh, but he, you know, he's still trying to put on this, this show by opening these buildings around the world and, and have putting out these press releases, trying to convince the outside world that you know, Scientology is actually expanding when it's actually shrinking. That, that reminds me. It's very, it, it kind of amuses me. I did a, little, I did a gag on that on this show because uh, uh, I know you put an article out where you had the audio from the year-end gala, um, the David Scavage's speech. Um, what, one of the things about that is, you know, we talk about how he makes up the astronomical numbers, says whatever sounds good, gives credit to news stories that are something else that turned out to be another thing, and maybe you can speak to this. Something that stood out to me, because I remember when this happened, I think most of us do in the news, with all the police shootings of unarmed black men and the, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, there was a point where the Crips and the Bloods actually uh, laid down their guns and stood together against violence and I don't think Scientology had anything to do with that but David Miscavige sure made it sound like they did well they had yeah there was a look gang summits happen all the time so don't I mean this, I think that this was an unusual one because the rapper of the game showed up and that of course made it much a, a much bigger deal and it was held at the Scientology Community Center in Inglewood. Uh, and there were people like Alfred Johnson and some other Scientology officials were there. So, yeah, I mean, you know, David Miscavige is bragging about that. I don't blame him. I mean, it was, it was uh, you know, an encouraging sign to see these people get together and talk. Uh, but, you know, Scientology never does something like that without its own interest in mind, right? And... Right. They, yes, they're they're using that now as propaganda. Uh, so, I you know yeah, it was a good event. I'm glad they did that. It's good that the game showed up, but I don't think they should forget that Scientology has its own interest in mind. Yeah, but the Scientology arranged that, or it just happened to happen at that center? Because a lot of times you don't even know you're at a Scientology center. I have a feeling Alfredi set that up, but I'm not sure. Okay. All right. All right, very good. Um, so uh, you do this thing every year called HowdyCon. <laughs> yeah, you should come to it. Uh, I'm thinking about I'll, it. I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a quick background on that. I, in 20, my book came out in May 20, uh, 2015, and uh, I then uh, decided to go around on a book tour, uh, and I went to various American cities. I even went to Australia and, and Europe. And uh, at some point... Somebody in the comments at my website said, Tony, why are you why are you going to so many places? 
which I thought, you know, would be kind of obvious. I mean, you know, it's fun, you know. <laughs> but right. I said, well, I jokingly said, well, you know, I, I, I can't, I got to see all these different places before I pick a place for us to have a convention. And I was just joking, right? But the commenters went wild with it. They were like, yes, we're going to have a convention. Let's, pick it, let's figure out where. And they actually had a vote. So I had nothing to do with this. The, the <laughs> readers organized it. They organized a vote, and, and, and they picked Cleveland, Ohio, of all places. Because I think we have a, a particularly strong uh, uh, group of uh, readers in, the, in that general area, uh, Missouri, Ohio, that kind of thing. And so uh, we set it up, and it was last year. It was, it, our timing was amazing. We happened to be there just as the Cavaliers were winning the NBA championship, and, and, and we were out in the streets with all the, the people celebrating. Oh. But it was just 50 of us, you know, and we were just there to have fun. And, 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 and you know, we went to the Rock and Roll Museum together, and we had a special dinner, and uh, Chris Shelton was there, and uh, uh, Pete Griffiths from Ireland was there. And uh, our, real, our guest of honor was, was uh, Professor David Turetsky from Carnegie Mellon University, who flew his private plane from Pittsburgh up to Cleveland to join us. Um, and it was a total success. I mean, that's all it was. We, we didn't have any, you know, it wasn't one of these formal things with papers and panels or anything like that. It was just, it was just people that have a similar interest getting together and having fun. So uh, at the end of it, to make sure that they didn't get their, any thoughts of doing any more voting, I said next year we'll have it in Denver, and so that's we've been planning on that. Uh, HowdyCon this year will be in Denver from uh, June 23rd to 25th, and there's details on the website. And where the name comes from is that uh, when we were trying to, when we were first organizing the first one, I just wanted to have a funny name that didn't like you know, didn't name after me or anything. So uh, <laughs> there was a there was a beloved commenter. Uh, Steve Cox, who went by the screen name Captain Howdy, and he passed away, uh, and we wrote, you know, I wrote about him, and, and people still miss him a great deal. And then there was, and so I just decided to call it Howdy Con, and I thought that was funny, and people love it. So, and the first one, our first one was dedicated to him, and also to uh, Mary Marinelli, who was another wonderful commenter that we lost, and, and she went by the name Sugar Clone Ferry, which is just an indication that we have this wonderful community there. You know, people really get to know each other, and uh, uh, yeah, there's some fights and some name calling, but it's it's a much more, I think, intelligent and thoughtful uh, space on the internet that you find in most places. Yeah, I mean, do you do you have a lot of non non ex Scientologists that appear there? We have everybody. Uh, we have a lot of people that were never in Scientology that were just curious that are curious about it. Uh, we have people that were in Scientology. Uh, we have some real experts, people that not only were longtime Scientologists, but were real experts on the tech. So if I have a question, I'll just throw it out there, and one of them will have the answer. So, you know, Sonny Pereira, for example, is often uh, helping us out with specific, you know, Scientology jargon and, and history, uh, and other people that, that uh, go by various handles are there. That uh, And then, you know, somebody like Mike Rinder will drop by, or... Uh, Hannah Whitfield stops by on occasion, uh, you know, and, and it's it's really become kind of a community based around, okay, what's happening in Scientology today? You know, what's the news? What's the latest? And uh, so it's a, it's a it, I get like a, a thousand comments per story. I mean, it's really lively uh, and a lot of fun. 
Excellent, excellent. I, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to consider it. I have a lot of trips to make this year, it seems. Uh, but that's one I'm very interested in, especially since I've taken this up the way I have. Um, I wanted to ask you one more question before I get into this. Uh, I don't know if I told you about it. I do something with every guest called 10 Questions. Think fast. It's basically just 10 questions. Some are thought-provoking. Some are just ridiculous nonsense. If you're uncomfortable, you can pass. Uh, so I'm going to do that to end the uh, the interview. I can't remember the questions I'm going to ask you, so it'll come up later, I'm sure, when I when I don't need to ask you anymore. Uh, so, okay. Um, before we do 10 questions, I just want to ask you, when we end the interview, I want you to stay on the line with me, though. I want to talk to you about something for one minute, if I can, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay, cool. Okay. All right, I'm going to edit that out. Okay, so now 10 questions with Tony Ortega. Uh, Tony, uh, number one, true or false, deep down Tom Cruise is a decent human being. Um, I think he's a kind of an asshole that gets a pass because he's a big star. So false. Gotcha. All right, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, number two, the best thing you've ever done, so complete that statement, the best thing I've ever done is, Oh, the best thing I've ever done is, uh, um, I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> I think the best thing I've ever done is not join the Church of Scientology. That's a great answer. Uh, number three, I love Clearwater. I, I visit it every summer with my family, actually, believe it or not. Um, so uh, I know some people still live there that were part of Scientology and are ex-Scientologists, but I want to ask you, Clearwater at face value, take it or leave it? Well, I'm a California guy, dude. I mean, I live in New York, but I'm from L.A., and I don't know. I just I don't get Florida. I, <laughs> I, I lived there for a while. I ran a newspaper there, but it's, it, you know, um, People, have, I, I mean, I lived in Fort Lauderdale for a while, and people were telling me, "Oh, this is paradise! This is paradise!" I'm like, "Your sand at the beach has fleas." <laughs> I've never seen that. You know? I've never you know, seen the sand I, fleas. <laughs> I mean, it's this, this. I can't believe people call it paradise. I could go on and on about all the things about Florida I found utterly repellent. Um, so <laughs> when I'm in Clearwater. When I'm in Clearwater and everybody's talking about how gorgeous and wonderful and beautiful it is, I'm just like, oh, my God. Have you guys not been to California? You know, anyway. So, no, I'm not I, – I, I feel for them that their downtown is decimated because of Scientology. But if there was no Scientology there, I'd probably never go there. <laughs> gotcha. So leave it. All right. Number four. Here's a little bit of controversial one, maybe. Uh, more sincere, Christians or ex-Scientologists? Oh, uh, I can't answer that question. I mean, I've met very sincere Christians. I've met very sincere ex-Scientologists. It's a terrible question. Very, I'm sorry. It's terrible. Uh, very hypocritical Christians, and I've met some very hypocritical Scientologists. So I, I can't really uh, make a value judgment between them. All right. I will, I will say that most, uh, so far, I've only talked to a few, but most ex-Scientologists that I've come across are some of the most decent people I've ever met. just want to make sure that's clear. Uh, number five, true or false? You will end up writing more books before this is over. Yeah, that's true. I'm working on something, but I can't talk Excellent. about it yet. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Uh, number six, describe I, – I asked Bert Leahy this, and he said insidious. So let me ask you, number six, describe Scientology in one word. Bully. Bully is a good word. Number seven, huh, 
Uh, sum up Marty Rathbun in a few words, if you could. Enigma. Enigma's good. <laughs> he reminds me now. Now, after after uh, experiencing the um, Unbreakable Miss Lovely, he kind of reminds me of of Nibs a little bit in in some of his behavior. But uh, well, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, number eight, true or false? There is a big difference between taking action and being a groupie out of curiosity. Well, are you trying to slam somebody on that one? I can't tell. I'm just. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there's nothing. I think there's nothing wrong with just being curious about a subject and reading about it. And I encourage people just to come and read the website and hang out with us, whether or not you're ever going to end up, you know holding a picket sign or whatever. I, I, I have respect for people that are activists and try to make things happen, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with just being a curious reader who likes to know what's happening. Well, I think that's the important part is the, the being informed part rather than just jumping in. And I think that we just, you answered that well. You didn't answer true or false, but you answered it well. I think you gave the best answer. Uh, number nine, cigars, cigarettes, or that shit will kill you. I've never smoked anything. I, I have, Excellent. I, I have a uh, not wonderful respiratory system. Asthmatic uh, as a kid, and so I I've never been tempted. So yeah. I hate it's, stuff. Number ten. Uh, I decided to do something a little bit uh, something here that I think would be cool to hear you do. I sum up things and come get some here and I'm summing up Tony Ortega. Uh, do me a favor Tony, on number 10, sum up Paulette Cooper. She's an acerbic kick in the ass. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Is there anything else you want to say? Any message you want to put out or anything you want I, to promote? That's, that's, why, that's why I love hanging out with her. It's always fun. She's a treasure, man. Yeah, I really hope I can I can get in contact with her and get her on the show. I, I don't want her I don't want her I, I feel like I feel like if I if I want to talk to her I'm bothering her though because she's been through so much. Yeah, I mean well I you know, at some at some point you know, while we were spending that two years and I I would dig into the particularly seventy three. If you're asking her about nineteen seventy three, it does get her down and she just but you know, I've seen her in interviews. She's she's great. You know, she she understands that she's got this stature as a person. You know, for what she went through, and and, and so I, you know, she's great. When she was on the Remedy show, I thought she did a wonderful job yeah. explaining a lot in a small amount of time. Uh, so she's good at that. But uh, but yeah, I would I would spend all day all day. We would be talking about a particular thing in 1973, and then she would just like. You gotta, you gotta give me some time to recover from that, you know. And so I understood. Oh, excellent, excellent. Uh, I was asking you earlier. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off when you're talking about Paulette. Is there anything else you want to promote? Anything else you want to say to the people listening? Oh, I just hope they join us at TonyOrtega.org at the Underground Bunker and join the conversation. Uh, and uh, I've got links there to, you know, information about the book, The Unbreakable This Lovely. It's at Amazon, and uh, there's now an Audible version if you want to hear me read it. Uh, that's it for now. So I'll just uh, meet at the bunker and keep an eye on what's happening. All right. I'll say this. Because I was cramming to get it in, because I had not read it yet or finished reading it yet, I grabbed the audio version. And the funniest it's the funniest thing to hear Tony Ortega read that little poem that Paulette Cooper read once, by the way. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. Um, all right, so so please stay in line. But I do want to thank you for coming on the show. I really, um, I really appreciate it, and it really means a lot, Tony. I appreciate it. You bet. Have a great time. All right. Take care.
All right, so Tony Ortega there. So number eight was about um, groupies versus uh, someone taking action or an actual interest, um, which really speaks to the whole claim of that uh, idea of an anti-Scientology cult. I, I really feel like that's a stigma that people are trying to put on critics of Scientology. I mean it is easy, right? It is easy to be curious. It's easy to be the housewife that spends all day watching the Casey Anthony trial, right, and, and really just – really get emotionally invested in something that, that doesn't affect you directly. Um, but I think – I really do believe the anti-Scientology community that I've interacted with and that many people uh, uh, are, are finding themselves involved in has been really of a true interest and concern of, of for fellow human beings. And I think to have that bastardized by the uh, – I don't know if that's the right word, but to have it uh, criticized and turned and twisted into something – uh, less than what it is, I find distressing and disturbing. Uh, for instance, I feel like I said earlier on social media this weekend, I said, uh, or this week, I said, uh, sure, don't attack people. Uh, don't incite violence. Don't be okay with violence. But, you know, because someone would suggest, uh, we won't mention names, but someone has suggested, once you start going back at Scientology, just because there's Scientologists that are critical, you become the Scientologist. And, and honestly, I feel like that once you refuse to defend yourself because you're so worried on pins and needles about what you're saying is going to be twisted and used against you, then you're being uh, controlled by Scientology when you don't speak up for yourself. So definitely defend yourself, but uh, please keep in mind the distinction between defending yourself and retaliation. Retaliation is not good. Um, so my point is that the entire, the, the, whole, the entire thing about the anti-Scientology cult is bullshit. And um, and I don't have any problem with calling it out as bullshit. In, in the meantime, uh, I, I really thank you guys for listening. I want to thank Tony Ortega, and I want to thank uh, Phil Jones for their time and being involved. Uh, remember, it's 10.30 a.m., a couple blocks away from the big blue building there with uh, Phil uh, Jones' uh, billboard dedication tomorrow, uh, TonyOrtega.org for Tony Ortega's site. Uh, next week on the Thursday show, Ex-Green Bay Packer and actor uh, Michael Montgomery, whose most recent credits are uh, Showtimes, The Roadies, and uh, Gotham. So uh, he's also like I said, he's an ex-Green Bay Packer as well. It's going to be a fun conversation, so I'll have him on Thursday. On Friday next week, come back with yet another solid show. Uh, we'll be talking to Paul Wysong, and you'll be hearing from Aaron Smith-Levin. And uh, we'll be talking about why his wife wasn't on the show, and we'll talk more about his situation. And, and you'll get more information than you got ever before. It's an opportunity for someone who was on a show that naysayers call scripted and see that they are a real human being, and their story is really theirs. There's nothing to script. There's nothing to set up. And uh, in the format of a podcast like this, you'll get to see that play out. So please uh, come back next Friday for that. In the meantime, uh, Lori Hodgson was so happy with the response she got. This is more than about more than about numbers for my show, more than about listens for my show. I am so inspired and encouraged by you, the listeners, uh, by you, my fellow human beings, in a time where there's so much question about where people's um, where people's uh, real intentions lie. I'm seeing a lot of goodness, and it's inspiring and encouraging to me. I hope it's inspiring and encouraging to you. Uh, please keep spreading that podcast. We wanted to go viral, not to make it a viral podcast, but to make sure that message potentially reaches Lori's kids. 
And if you have a similar situation and you want me to help you out with, I'll do that for you. As you see, and I've been doing this uh, the last few weeks, just want a little something extra in there to help somebody. Uh, next week, see you then. For now, that about sums it up. Stay connected. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for the support. It's been a great year. All the spot analysis. Am I crazy? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. Are we on a podcast? Yeah. I, I think I'm going to come get some. If you want some, come. Gotta get dead. Gotta get dead. Gotta get some. My favorite, though. Am I? You're my favorite. Oh, thank you yeah. so much. I think not. Put me on the e-meter and ask me a question and then it would float.